Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series, held on August 9, 2018, discussing the new proposed toll charge repatriation regulations. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, a PwC tax partner and our tax services leader, Doug McConey, a PwC tax principal and our international tax services leader, and Elizabeth Nelson, Mike Erse, and Mike DeFranzo, all PwC tax partners focusing on international tax issues. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists on issues 8 through 10 of the panel's top 10 issues from the regulations on various miscellaneous issues, including hovering deficits, increase of deficit corporations post-1986 undistributed earnings, and deficit company basis election. Have a listen. All right, why don't we uh, move over into the next area, which is just some miscellaneous issues, and start off just talking about what they give us as far as hovering deficits. Yeah. And Mr. DeFranzo, you want to take that one? Just miscellaneous, it just deals with the ENP and one tax <laughs> um, You know, it, it's funny, we have on the slide a, a sentence that if you take out the word only, could be a positive thing, but we go on and say hovering deficits are only considered for purposes of looking at your ENP and your SFCs. We then go on with the bad news. They're not included um, for purposes of looking at your DEAN paid credit. That means you have a you know, bigger pool, more diluted. And then when you get to defects, um, they are not included. So it's, it's sort of a heads government wins, tails taxpayer loses result across the board. Um, so it is appropriate to start that first sentence with it's only good news on one thing, um, because that's really the case here. It's not a lot of great news, but it's not really what we you know, we, we didn't expect them to soften or change necessarily. I don't know. Elizabeth, what did you expect? Well, I mean, the one thing that I would have expected because it's in the legislative <laughs> history yeah. is that they would have had a role to put any taxes associating with hovering deficits into the pool. So they they did not. <laughs> yeah. They didn't. They declined to do that, yeah. um, despite the legislative right. history, the, the comment in the conference report. And that surprised me. Any other comments? That should be a big comment. <laughs> it should be a big comment. For the final regs. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that will change. I mean, that will change a number of companies' computations as well, mm-hmm. just focusing on what are the things that they need to look at. I think most of us had included those those credits based yeah. on the language in the conference report. And, you know, I think a lot the other comments with or the other provisions with respect to the hovering deficit, I think we're pretty consistent with what we imagine. But but right. that one will certainly change change the math. All right. Sticking with the deficit companies, Mike, you want to take us through number nine here? Yeah, this provision, um, you know, most people have deficits, but they also have positive EMP that's much larger than the deficit. So in general, deficits get fully absorbed by defect income. Um, And so there's a rule that says that to the extent a deficit company has a loss, that, that deficit gets filled essentially to zero to the extent that deficit was used uh, by a defect. Um, this provision simply says that, that that EMP add back occurs on the first day of the next taxable year. So it's the year after the toll charge year. And that just means that it's going to be more difficult to access credits that may be sitting in that deficit company. Um, and as you know, 902 was repealed. So post toll charge year, you're in this uh, related to kind of world 
where taxes that don't relate to income you earn after, say, January 1st, it's hard to take a credit uh, if there was, for example, subpart F inclusion in that deficit company. And I'd say the other comment here is that they did specify in the regs or clarify in the regs that that increase is just an adjustment to ENP. Mm-hmm. It's not current year ENP yeah. that may cause other consequences. Yeah. So that was a welcome clarification. Yeah, I think for a lot of our fiscal year clients and with fiscal year CFCs, just as they were thinking about subpart F or thinking about distributions in, in the year, understanding what the consequence of when that ad back occurred and then trying to understand how the foreign tax credit is computed for you know those transactions that occurred after the measurement date but even within the same year yeah. you know we, we, we I think had assumed that maybe that deficit would get added back in, in, in the current year based on the statutory language and so you know as companies were thinking about those non-965 transactions as far as the subpart F or just whatever was taking place in that later part of the year right this again will really change you know how maybe not necessarily the 965 math but how a sub you know sure. other subpart F or other distributions were were contemplated and the, and the deemed paid credits on yeah. those inclusions and the yeah. deemed paid credits exactly all right moving to number 10 and this is uh, Deficit company basis selection. Doug, you want to walk us through uh, this issue? Yeah, this one we feel that a lot of questions about, and I assume a lot of comments as well, as far as this the PTI that was of a deficit allocation. And so I think this is best illustrated through through an example. And I'm first of all very interested to see you know how many taxpayers will actually take advantage of this election. But the issue is here we show CFC one has a deficit of one hundred. And the CFC2 has our deferred, deferred foreign income of 300. So the 100 deficit is reduces the, the 965 inclusion of, of 300. So we end up with a 200 inclusion. So the question that we've had is, okay, well, we've got 300 of, of, of E&P now, at, we're at 300 of E&P at CFC2. 200 of it is 965A toll charge. Now, the other 100 is the 965B PTI. So we know we get 961 basis, so tax basis for that 965 inclusion when USP includes that 965 inclusion at CFC2. But the challenge or the question that we had and the taxpayers had was that when CFC2 actually wants to bring back the entire 300 million, that is PTI, there's only 200 of of a 961 basis as a result of the 965 inclusion. And so I think there were questions and comments with respect to, well, should we just, should could taxpayers just add the 961 basis to that, uh, the, the non-965 included PTI, the 965 PTI. And what Treasury has, has proposed is a election to effectively shift the basis that was at CFC1 to CFC2. Now, taxpayers, first of all, need to make that election with their first timely filed return. And so for companies with different different fiscal years for certain CFCs, you know, that's one, I think, challenge to think about, particularly if you had a specified foreign corporation with an inclusion and that will maybe be the following year. But companies can make an election to now uh, treat that basis to move from CFC1 to CFC2. But what the regs also tell you is that you have to go all the way through the consequences under 301 as a result of that basis shift. Gain recognition. And so exactly. And so in, in this particular example where we had 75 of basis in CFC1 and 100 
of the of the loss, there's only 75 basis to shift. Yeah. And what the regs tell us is that taxpayers would actually have to recognize gain yeah. of 25 as a result of this basis shift. And so I think with that, a couple of things that I take away from that is, is first of all, you know, companies are going to have to do the math before they before they actually obviously make this election. And particularly for a number of our large, you know, US MNCs or even foreign MNCs with a number of CFCs, if you have a whole bunch of first tier foreign subsidiaries and a whole bunch of, you know, lost companies as some of those first tier foreign subsidiaries, and maybe you have two really big CFCs like this example, CFC1 and CFC2, if you make this election, it applies for all CFCs. And so so companies are going to need to do the before they just make that election. You right. actually have to go and do the math with respect to each of those first tier CFCs and understand what the consequences are. Because I can imagine certain taxpayers looking at a couple of big amounts and saying, well, this would be very helpful to make this election. But you really need to make sure that you understand what the consequences to all of those SFCs are. And, and I think importantly, when we say it shifts the basis, the decrease that happens under this election doesn't actually key off your actual basis in the deficit company. You're actually decreasing for the deficit that's been prorated to that chain of deferred foreign income companies, which can result in the gain. Right. And I think practically speaking, many companies that are funding lost companies are not necessarily doing it with equity. Right. Right. They would have done it through loans. And so obviously there's no basis in the shares to shift if that if that has been funded through loans. And so I anticipate that we might see some comments in, in that area with respect to this election. The, the other problem with this election, frankly, is a, a lot of companies are, are set up where they have a single holding company. Right. And this doesn't do anything for those companies because you have to, you're shifting basis within the same equity line. And so it doesn't give you any more access to that deficit PTI. Yeah. Because the, you're only doing the increase and decrease under the election to the property held by, by the, US. the U.S. shareholder. And so if it's in one chain, your decrease and increase nets to zero. So you basically need multiple owners of your CFCs with lots of real basis in your deficit companies for this to really help you. Right. You were getting to my point. How, how prevalent do you think an election like this will be? I actually think I think there are there are a lot of companies with... Uh, entities that are held by the U.S., by different owners, or by the same U.S. owner. Um, so I do think people will make this election. It, it, could, it could help um, some companies. I just question uh, how many will really do it. It It is got to be elected for everyone, and so I don't know. It, there's, there's a bunch of people that have single-owner uh, entities, single hold codes yeah. that hold the world. Yeah, and to the extent that you already have basis, so I mean, it's it's right. not Cost uncommon basis. that see right. that USP would already have. We say the beginning of your basis in our example is a hundred. Well, it's it, it, if you have other basis, even non nine sixty one basis, when you make the cash distributions of the, the the toll charge, that it would reduce that that other basis. So I think a lot of companies may already have, you know, some of that existing basis. I think the second point is is that. Well, a huge chunk of the CFC2's future earnings are now guilty, presumably depending on their QBI. So yeah. the question is really how much base, and then obviously you get basis for that guilty PTI. 
And so I, I suspect that the number of taxpayers that will not have enough basis to be able to get back the cash either as a result of the 965 inclusion or future cash is relatively small, okay. but there will certainly be some instances. And so I think this is a relief for, for, for those taxpayers. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.